My name's Sai, and actually the theme that I'm going to be speaking on today is love. And I just need a couple of volunteers. Uh, okay, Ben and Sam, and oh, Neo as well. Yeah, and Isla as well. Yeah, come on, you can come too. So, what you have to do is just come up here. You just have to answer a quick question. I'm afraid I've got no sweets, so you may want to consider whether you want to come up or not now. But, <laughs> uh, but uh, are they also going right? So. All you have to do is tell everyone the first thing that comes into your mind when I say to you, what do you think of when you think of love? Sam, you can start. Come stand on here and you can say it in there. Look at everyone. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> I've known that answer. Go on, Ben, what do you think when you think of love? Chocolate. Chocolate. You answered exactly the same as your granddad. Mm, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Uh, right. Uh, Isla? Marriage. Ah, that's nice. God. What is that, sorry? God. God. Oh, lovely. Thank you, Neo. Thank you. Thank you. Well done, everyone. Let's give him a round of applause. Yes, we're going to be looking at love today. Love is all you need, according to John Lennon and the famous Beatles song. Or to quote a modern slogan, love is love. And uh, it's, you know, that this feeling uh, of love can justify any sort of behavior, as long as it's done out of, you know, a love that you feel, whether it even be betraying a uh, marriage vow, whether it leads to hurting uh, somebody else, oh yeah, but no, I, I really love this thing, or whether it leads to activity that the Bible clearly says is wrong. The notion that you can't argue with love is behind that, that statement, that, that, that feeling, that desire, that greater good of, of love is what can be a guiding force, that love trumps everything else. Yet the word of God is clear that when it says in Jeremiah 17 verse 9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it. Due to sin, our conscious and unconscious rebellion against God, our heart is warped, the Bible tells us. It is sick. It desires things and loves things that are harmful to us, that can be harmful to other people. Just move that. Uh, and, and that offend God as well. And we need to bear this in mind. So love is love as a slogan defined by our feelings. It actually isn't a good barometer for love because it ends up being something fickle, something deceitful even, something sick and something selfish and unreliable. Our society's view of love as the highest ideal that is out there is a little bit like in the ancient world, when the Bible was written around Jesus' time, how the Greeks viewed um, reason. And they had this whole view of the logos, reason, the thing that held everything together. And uh, the Apostle John takes hold of this view 
of uh, reason, of logos, as their highest ideal. And he says all that's right and true about reason can be found in the person of Jesus. And he raises the bar of what they think about reason as well by declaring at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the logos, was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You see, John took their highest concept, their highest ideal at that time and says, all that you think about that can be found in the person of Jesus. And in fact, he raises the bar of what your thinking and uh, makes it so much more. It's earthed in reality in him. And you know what? The same is true of love. We can do the same. In fact, it's easier for us to do that with love today because actually the whole reason why the Western world values love so much is because of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Historian Tom Holland writes in his book, Dominion, that actually that is the reason why love is seen as this highest ideal. It's because of our Christian heritage. So to take it away from that and to have just a slogan that love is love, based on human love, human feelings, is actually promoting something that is less than what love should be. It's something that's fickle, something subject to change, something that is selfish. That's why actually the world is in the mess that it's in. That's why if you just you know, follow whatever things your heart uh, desires, you end up making a mess of your own life because your heart changes what it desires. And some of you here today will be living with the consequences of other people's choices of just following, letting love be love, and how that's detrimentally impacted your life too as well. No, my friends, a much better slogan than love is love is already written for us in God's word. In 1 John 4 verse 16, where it says, God is love. Not love is God, but God is love. He defines what love is and what it isn't as well. Jesus Christ just as he was the highest example of reason, is the greatest example of love as well. To become more like Jesus is to become more loving. To submit your life to Jesus is to allow your life to come under infinite love. To surrender to Jesus is to allow the God of love to mend your broken heart and my broken heart and also to bring healing to the damage done to our lives because of what other people have done to you as well. Let's just pray quickly before I move on because I know actually all of us to varying degrees would have been affected by that. Lord Jesus as I speak today as I bring your word to us. Lord I just pray would you be here Holy Spirit would you be upon everybody watching this, Lord God, would you meet with them, Lord God? May it not just be words, Lord God, but would you bring the reality of God's love 
to our hearts right now, Lord God. Holy Spirit, just come and work on people's hearts, Lord. And where people have been hurt, where people are still got the scars, Lord God, of uh, people that should have loved them and haven't done that properly, Lord. I just pray that you will come and bring your healing love to them, that they would know you close to them. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So today we're going to be looking at what God says about love in his word and how we should do all that we do out of a desire and a heart of love. So if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13. I'm going to read from there. It's a well-known passage. It's often read at weddings, which isn't inappropriate. It's quite appropriate. It readily applies to the marriage situation. But that's not the primary context in which Paul is writing. We'll look at that as well. So we're actually going to start in a verse before that, verse 31 of chapter 12. It'll be on the screen as well if you don't have your Bibles. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understanding, or I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verses 1 to 3 talk about love in action. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, self-sacrifice, even to the point of death, count for nothing before God. They're just noise in his ear if they're not done out of a heart of love for him and his people. Paul takes everything, you see, that the Corinthians were saying, look what makes us godly, look what makes us holy, and says, actually, if you're not doing those things, operating out of a heart of love, then they count for nothing. You see, God hasn't made you a human doing. He's made you a human being. 
He doesn't need you to do things for him. He's not there thinking, oh no, Sai's had a bad day this week, or Sai's had a bad week, or even Sai's had a bad month. Oh, this part of my plan's come crumbling down. What am I going to do about it? And the same is true for you. God doesn't need us to do things for him. We have the privilege of doing things for God. Yes, we're called to do it, but it's a privilege to be involved. It's not dependent on us. It's a little bit like, uh, you know, many of you can identify this, when you allow your small child to help you make a cake. It ends up twice as much work for you with twice as much mess and they've got their fingers in the cake and they're distracted by licking the spoon. They've forgotten what they're doing. We see, we as Christians, we've been given the Holy Spirit and he helps us to work alongside our Heavenly Father bringing his will here on earth as it is in heaven. It's a privilege to be involved, but God doesn't need us in that way. He's not dependent on us. We are dependent on him. And the Corinthians, you see, were getting distracted by licking the spiritual spoon, so to speak, of spiritual gifts. Oh, tongues, oh, so tasty, tongues, oh, really. And they're getting distracted by that rather than realizing that they were about God's work and who it was for. If we're not acting out of love, all those gifts that the Holy Spirit gives, they count for nothing. All that we do counts for nothing. You see, even God in his salvation plan, it says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. 1 John 4, 10 tells us, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son as a propitiation, as the one who takes away the wrath of God from us, a propitiation for our sins. God's salvation plan was acted out of a love for us. And we, out of love for God and his people, should do everything that he has called you and I to do. Spiritual gifts without love, they're worthless, Paul says. Love is demonstrated through our actions, though, and love is also a sign of our maturity. So, my friends, all we do needs to be done out of a heart of love. Let the love of God fill you. This is not a sort of, oh, oh, oh no, you've got to add love into what you need to do. Okay, oh, I've done that. Am I loving enough? No, no, no. We come to an almighty God who is full of love and say, fill us afresh with your love. And he will give you, he will put in your heart a greater desire to, and a greater love for him and for his people and for those that he places around you. Let's just ask for that afresh now. Father, thank you that you are God who can say, God is love, Lord. You, and you love to pour out your love into our hearts, your word tells us. And I just pray for each one of us here, Lord God, and for each person watching, Lord God, would you pour out your love afresh into our hearts, Lord God. Thank you. It's not just something academic, Lord God. It's something that we can experience, Lord God, something that we can know, the love that you have for us, Lord God. And I just pray you'd pour it into our hearts 
and that you would help our hearts to be full of your love so that all that we come across, all the people we rub shoulders with, Lord, we can show them something of your love, Lord God. Not, not in a conjured up way, Lord God, but in a natural way because we're so full of your love. So I pray, fill us afresh in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what does love look like uh, in, the, uh, in the O'Sullivan and Rummery family? Clearly chocolate looks like uh, <laughs> has a lot to, to, to do with love. What, what, what does scripture define love as? Verses 4 to 7. Can I just encourage you, actually, just, just close your eyes as I read these verses again and just be meditating on the truth of these words. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Just going to linger there a second because some of you need to hear that. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Some of you have been wronged in the name of love. Some of you have been pressured to do wrong in the name of love or to twist the truth because of love. Love, true love, doesn't do those things. Just know that. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. The word believe there in verse 7 is the active word for faith. So in verse 7 as well as verse 13, you have faith, hope, and love repeated as key Christian values for those of you that like to, to those things pointed out. You know, the word in this chapter is uh, for, for love is agape. And I'm sure many of you will, will know what that means. But if you don't, it means a, a sacrificial love. It comes from a sense of preferring another so that you act on their behalf, even at the cost to yourself. It's a sacrificial love. That's why, actually, if you read this in the old King James, the authorized uh, version, it has the word charity in there instead of, instead of love. Uh, nowadays, most people, when you say charity, they think of organization, uh, you know, Oxfam or something uh, like that, rather than sacrificial love. So it's best, that's why it's not in modern translations, they just stick with the word love. But it's, it's a sacrificial love that he's talking about there. And what's interesting about these three verses is you could take the word love there and replace it with Jesus. Because Jesus is the embodiment of all those things. He could say in John 15, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends. He's saying it to his disciples, but he's also saying it to us too. For some of you, you actually may be here and you may be hurting because You have been let down. You've been betrayed by somebody whom you loved. And they should have loved you back properly. But they've let you down. You need to know that Jesus will never let you down. And actually, neither will he let you run headlong into things that are wrong, that are against 
the truth because he loves you too much to let you do that. He will speak into that situation. The writer Tom Wright on these verses says we need to think of three things. Firstly, how these qualities are manifested in Jesus. Secondly, how well are these qualities manifested in our own life currently? And then finally, how can we demonstrate these things to those around us? Next, Paul moves on in the last few verses to consider love's destination, where when the perfect comes. Now, when I was younger, uh, my, my granddad was a, a brethren man, and he used to say, oh, well, what he's talking about when the perfect comes is, is the word of God. This is, this is the perfect. And so prophecies and tongues and all those sorts of things, they've ceased. They no, they're no longer uh, relevant. We've got the perfect. But if you read even a casual glance of this chapter, makes it clear it's not talking about scripture. It's talking about when Jesus returns and he wraps up history and makes everything perfect where there's no sin, suffering or sickness. And we, we know God fully, even as we are fully known. And there's no longer a need for faith and hope, so to speak, because they are there before us. That's why love is the greatest of these things. As it says in the old hymn, gracious spirit, holy ghost, it says this, faith will vanish into sight. Hope be emptied in delight. Love in heaven will shine more bright. William Barclay, commenting on these verses, says, Paul stresses Christian love's absolute permanency, its absolute completeness, and its absolute supremacy. All you need is love? Well, yes, if you're talking about the love of God, the agape love of God. And love is love you can see is a totally bankrupt statement compared to the amazing truth that God is love. And finally, my friends, before I finish this passage on love, as it's so often just considered in isolation, outside of its context, I just want to just, just briefly consider its context of spiritual gifts, which are mentioned before and after this. And even in the verse 31 of chapter 12 and verse 1 of chapter 14 brings our attention back to it. It was clearly in Paul's thinking when he took this detour into love. And that was clearly part of his motive in it. Why? Because as a Christian, Christian love looks to prefer. It looks to build up the church of God as well. It's after the church is good, not our own good. That's something that God does in our heart as believers. Spiritual gifts are given by a loving God for the good of the church of Jesus Christ. And he wants you and I to earnestly desire spiritual gifts, and not just us personally, but that they're manifested amongst us. Not so that we can become proud but so that we can build each other up in love. The very word used in verse 31 and 14 one is zealous. It, it, we get in the English, you can translate it zealous or jealous as well. It means basically to bubble over hot for something, like a saucepan bubbling over. And God wants you and I to bubble over hot with our desire 
for spiritual gifts to be manifested amongst us for the good of the church, out of love for the church and a desire for God's glory. You see, the Bible speaks of uh, two things that God is jealous about. He's jealous about his glory and is jealous about his people's affection for himself. And if we love the church, which is the bride of Christ, called to reflect the glory of God. We should be zealous for the church of God, jealous for the church that its affection is for God. And spiritual gifts help us to do that. Do you love the church? Actually, it's a sign of being a true believer that you love the people of God. The Apostle John writes, whoever loves God must also love his brother or sister, talking about fellow Christians, For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. You see, we're not just a a club here. It's not just a a get-together and have a nice time. We're a family. It's not perfect. No, definitely not. And people will let you down. But we're called to love one another and to show God's love to, to one another, to care for each other and provide the growth And purity of the church should consume your thinking if you love God. I don't know about you, but during this time when we were locked down and not able to meet, my heart burned to meet together. How much does your heart burn to be in the same room as the saints of God? Together, yes, it's not all that we want it to be because of certain restrictions, but we should have that aching in our heart to be with the people of God as a sign that we genuinely love God. The Apostle Paul could write, I endure, I put up with, I will take risks for, I will suffer all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Allow God's heart, my friends. Allow his love to fill your life, to fill your heart with love for his people. Not just some vague, oh yes, I love the church out there somewhere. No, it's earthed in the reality. It's rooted in the reality of a gathered local church in a town like Corinth or in a town like Helsham or wherever, wherever God calls you to be gathered, where we rub shoulders with people warts and all. And guess what? They rub shoulders with you, warts and all, as, as well. Ask God to increase your love for his people, for his church. And out of love for God and his church, earnestly desire that spiritual gifts be manifested amongst us for the common good of all the people in it. If you love the church, You'll want it to be built up. You'll want it to be encouraged. You'll want it to be uh, consoled and counseled when it's struggling. Love will lead you not to forget, but to eagerly desire all the more spiritual gifts. And that's why Paul inserts this passage in the middle of these two chapters about spiritual gifts. 